0: Uh, the, the subject of our, our message today as the, the second part of our series on, on the church is, is preaching. Uh, and I imagine all of you would have um, somewhat similar stories to tell, but in my interactions with other Christians on the topic of preaching, uh, you of course hear of, of some folks who uh, think that you know, if a sermon goes for, for over 15 minutes, then that's just, that's just far too long. Uh, it mustn't go over 15 minutes or, or else there'll be, uh, the next week there'll be, uh, what do you call it, protests within the congregation. Uh, and then I remember on the other hand, uh, at one time I was, uh, you wouldn't quite say called to be the minister of a church, but I was perspectively called to be the minister of a church. Uh, and I remember looking through this church's website uh, and it said words to the effect of, uh, we allow for a, a disproportionately large portion of our services to be devoted to the preaching of God's word. Uh, and you think, well, what is it? is it? Is it 10 or 15 minutes and that's it? Or is it you know, 50 minutes, an hour, an hour and a half? Uh, relatedly, uh, I remember uh, once more being at, uh, at Apologia Church in, in Mesa in America. Uh, and Pastor Jeff Durbin there had been known for preaching messages that were an hour and a half or so. Uh, And when we were there, uh, he was apologizing to the congregation, uh, basically sort of saying, well, God's word is amazing. Of course, we want to hear it preached. Uh, At the same time, we acknowledge that a lot of you have small children and keeping them still for an hour and a half is a bit of a feat. Um, I don't know that it actually made much of a difference to the length of his messages, but uh, you can see what he was getting at. Uh, But what is it? Is it to be, 10, 15 20 half an hour is it to be an hour how long is preaching to be uh, what is the the subject of preaching to be what are we to preach from is it to be uh, a message based upon uh, subjects upon what's going on in the world is it to be uh, is it to be exe- sequential and exegetical preaching from I'm making up uh, verses, but from John 1, verses 1 to 5 today, and then verses 6 to 12 next week, and 13 to 18 the following week. Is that how we are supposed to go? What, what should preaching be within God's church? Uh, what does the scripture say um, as to what it ought to be? Uh, I hope to answer a few of the questions, um, which I hope are probably readily known to you anyways, but nonetheless to, to stir us on with regards to the subject of preaching. J.E. Adams, in his book, Preaching with Purpose, notes that preaching within the gathered church, which I should specify as the, the subject of today's message, uh, notes that preaching within the gathered church uh, includes, uh, and I'm going to give you th- Uh, three or four Greek words, but I'll I'll define them, uh, includes paraklesis, which he says is aid, assistance, advice, exhortation, encouragement, and urging. It involves paramuthia, which involves comfort and cheer, and nuthesia, which involves counsel or admonition. As well, it involves instruction, as you might see in, uh, in Titus 2.15. The Westminster divines uh, noted in their directory of public worship, which I had not actually had much exposure to uh, prior to going to a, a school of theology earlier this year, uh, but they note in their directory of public worship uh, that the preaching of the word, being the power of God unto salvation, and one of the greatest and most excellent works belonging to the ministry of the gospel should be so performed that the workman need not be ashamed, but may save himself and those that hear him. Turning to the scripture, uh, what does it have to say to us? A preacher, and hence preaching in application, uh, is one who is, to, who is called to be rightly handling the word of truth. The Bible. He is to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, 2 Timothy 2.15 and chapter 4 verse 2. A preacher is called to keep a close watch on yourself, or on himself, on the teaching, to persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and and your hearers in 1 Timothy 4.16. James warns in his third chapter in the first verse that not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Paul sent uh, the church in Corinth, Timothy, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. And God gives the church, uh, according to Ephesians 4, 11 to 12, apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Shepherds and teachers, uh, being those who are called in part to preach, are a part of God's gift to his church, to build it, to build the church up even, as it says in uh, verse 13, even to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And I want to just take care of one uh, potential thought that pops into our mind as I say that. Uh, I will uh, readily acknowledge, uh, because I think it is a scriptural concept, scriptural concept uh, that, that preachers, that pastors, teachers, elders uh, are given to the church as a gift, I do not therefore think that I am anything particularly special. Uh, If God has has given uh, an elder to a church, he is to serve there, he is to serve there humbly, he is to give glory to God. He is not to think more of himself than he ought to. So the preaching of preachers is a major means used by God for the perpetual building up of his church, Ephesians 4.16. And so preaching, therefore, is almost nothing like a theologically based TED talk or merely some sort of a speech uh, that those of like mind would would chant, hear, hear, at the end of. It is not merely a means of building up the intellect, though I think we can uh, unashamedly say in line with Vodi Borkum that, uh, that knowledge of the mind is not a disease. We don't have to be worried about head knowledge. It's okay to have head knowledge. We don't have to avoid it. But it's not merely a means of building up the intellect. Uh, it is a means of building up God's church to full maturity, of producing in her spotlessness, wrinklelessness, such that the church may be holy and without blemish, as Ephesians 5 notes. The preaching of God's Word, the the reproving, rebuking, exhortation, instruction that is heralded from the pulpit is a means used of God to turn spiritual infants, those who are are milk feeders, into those who are spiritually mature meat-eaters. And so we ought to not treat preaching as any arbitrary or trivial thing. Given that description that I've just given you, Preaching uh, is, is a major, it is a big deal. Praise the Lord that we are exposed to it, uh, in, in this church at least, mostly at least twice a week. If you re-listen to the messages during the week, then potentially up to four times a week. Preaching is no arbitrary or trivial thing. What we are speaking of in preaching is it being used as a mechanism of God to sanctify His church and build them up in his ways his maturity as a means of making his bride ready for him when he comes consider to that end uh, the amount of time and effort that goes into uh, on a bride's wedding day that goes into making herself ready for her husband Uh, ideally uh, that preparation is not just on the wedding day but has been going on uh, even since she was been born Uh, Her father uh, training her, leading her in the Lord's ways, and subsequently uh, for her husband on her wedding day. If you multiply that amount of effort times about, about a billion, then we still fall oceans short of the amount of weight that we ought to place on preaching because it is used once again as a mechanism of building up the church to prepare her for Christ. So with that as introduction, I have uh, three points, the third really uh, being the conclusion. So you can say two and a half points. Uh, firstly, what is the, the content of preaching? A few other practical considerations. Uh, secondly, the preacher as the mouthpiece of Christ. And thirdly, or in conclusion, uh, a call to action for the hearer of preaching. So firstly, what is the content of preaching uh, and other practical considerations? Uh, By way of, and I won't camp on this, so don't don't freak out for too long. Uh, By way of quick distinction and a little bit of nerddom, uh, for the purposes of today's message, we are speaking about preaching within the church, as I mentioned before. The word primarily used for this uh, in the scripture is the Greek word didasko, which means to teach, uh, and its derivative forms. Uh, so this word, uh, sorry, words that are also translated as preach in our Bibles are the Greek words keruso and euangelizo. Uh, these words are, are more commonly used, not solely, but more commonly used within the scriptures for what we might term evangelistic activity. Didasco is what's going on now, it is teaching within the church. Keruso uh, and Juan uh, is what occurred uh, yesterday as we went out into Tagranong and preached the gospel to, uh, to everybody who was, who was coming by. Turn with me, if you will, uh, to, to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 11 to 16 say this Command and teach these things. This is Paul, I should say, writing to Timothy, his, uh, his son in the faith. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching... Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing you will hear sorry, you will save both yourself and your hearers. And turn over just a, a page or three uh, to Second Timothy chapter three. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting from verse 16. Many of you will be familiar with it. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Until I come, says Paul, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Perhaps it's needless to say, but this public reading of Scripture, this exhortation and this teaching, uh, we're not separate And unrelated things, but rather the exhortation and the teaching were to be on the basis of the scripture. Uh, It is not as if Paul advocates for a certain section of scripture to be read and then some exhortation based upon Timothy's mood uh, and some teaching based upon whatever the columnists in the Ephesus Daily or the Ephesians Journal of Anthropology were writing at the time. Rather, the teaching or didascalia. Uh, is based upon the scripture. It is based, it is founded, it is exegeted from the scripture. And when we say based, I feel we need some qualification in 2023. Often when we say based, we might say, "Are oh, the... The movie is, is based off the book or something like that. And really what we mean is that there's, maybe there's the main character and the, uh, the protagonist are the same, but apart from that, there's not really that much similarity. When we say based here, we mean inextricably from. The, the exhortation, the teaching that is to occur, which Paul exhorts Timothy to do, uh, is to be inextricably based on the scripture. Uh, in support of teaching based on scripture, consider also Uh, You might have it open in front of you, 1 Timothy 5.17, where Paul writes, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Uh, The word translated as teaching there is is logo, forgive me all the Greek terms today. Uh, The word translated there is logo, uh, which is alternately translated, translated as word teach from the word uh, esteem with honor double honor those who labor in preaching and the word consider also in titus 1 9 uh, don't turn there i'll just read it quickly Uh, paul writes to uh paul writes to titus forgive me uh, in in that verse he being the prospective elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine," that word doctrine being once again uh, a derivative of didasko, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. Acts 17.11 forms a bit of a a logic loop, you could say. uh, "'For why would the Berean Jews be commended for searching the Scriptures to see if Paul and Silas' teaching was true, unless the Scriptures were the basis from which the, the people were supposed to be preaching?' It says, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica, the Berean Jews. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They commended for their searching of the scriptures because the scriptures was the basis of what uh, Paul and Silas were meant to be preaching from. Uh, and I've said in, uh, in other sermons in other congregations uh, that surely if the apostle Paul uh, and his uh, can we call him another son in the faith, Silas? Uh, if, they, if the folks who heard them were searching the Scriptures to see if what they said was true, then surely uh, for us here today, we ought to be searching the Scriptures to see if what people herald from the pulpit is true. Uh, finally, and once again in 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Uh, We'll look at that passage again in a second, so you may like to turn there if you're not there already. Uh, So, Scripture, the Bible, is the basis and foundation for the preaching and teaching within the church. Uh, This is not to say, uh, to answer a question in the introduction, this is not to say that every message has to be sequentially exegeting uh, through a book of the Bible. Uh, but it is to say that every message ought to be based obviously and inextricably from the Scriptures. So the, uh, the content of preaching is to be the Scriptures. Uh, let's consider some further specificity as to what uh, a sermon ought to be. Read with me uh, 2 Timothy three sixteen to 17 once again, to refresh our minds. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Scripture, so says Paul to Timothy, is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness. Teaching may be considered as doctrine, teaching or learning. Reproof is an evidence or or a proof to prove something. Correction uh, is to restore one to a right or upright state. It is an improvement of life or character. Training in righteousness uh, is to instruct in the way to be in a state acceptable to God. What a high calling. To instruct in a way that is, uh, sorry, to instruct in the way to be in a state acceptable to God. Instruction in what is right, in what is just, etc. In considering these things, uh, I was reminded uh, once again of the the Westminster Shorter Catechism and their summary uh, in Question and Answer 3, where they say, what do the scriptures principally teach? The answer comes, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God, we could class that as doctrine, and what duty God requires of man. We could consider that as uh, loosely on uh, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. So the scripture is to be our, uh, the basis of our preaching, and this scripture is good for teaching, for doctrine, for reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, That the man of God, goes Paul, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, as a a brief consideration to present the passage rightly, uh, granted man of God may be referring uh, to Timothy specifically or more broadly speaking of uh, a preacher of God's word. Um, However, note from Ephesians 4, what shepherds and teachers, among others, 4. Verses 12 to 13 of Ephesians 4 say uh, that God gives uh, these various groups, including preachers and teachers, or uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ." So while uh, Paul's focus, uh, as he writes to Timothy in chapter 3, 16 to 17, may well be uh, Timothy himself uh, and others in leadership like him, nonetheless the fruits of Scripture in Timothy's life uh, are not at all dissimilar to what is to be achieved in the life of Christians generally uh, through the work of preachers and their preaching. And two, two further con, uh, practical considerations, and I'll, I'll mention these almost in passing. Uh, I mentioned at the start the, uh, the conundrum of how long uh, messages ought to be. Uh, when Pastor Tom and I attended the, the School of Theology uh, earlier in the year, uh, the presenter gave what I thought was an interesting point. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say it's something we need to uh, mark down as a, an annex to the, uh, the London Baptist Confession of Faith or something. Uh, but he, he said that he gets his students to read out loud uh, the book of Hebrews, which most folks accept uh, is a, a sermon. Uh, he gets his students to read it out loud and to time themselves three times reading it out loud as if you were delivering it as a sermon. Uh, and he says that generally when folks do that, uh, the, it'll take them between 38 to 42 minutes uh, and he gives that as a, uh, a rough guide on how long he thinks that sermons ought to be. Uh, do I think that that's something that we need to, uh, to time preachers on every time? Probably not, uh, but useful for consideration perhaps. Uh, at least perhaps we can uh, say that we ought to stop preaching before people are falling out of windows as in Acts 20. Um, who is to do the preaching? Uh, and I'm gonna drop it down just as one sentence biblically qualified men uh, who have been set apart by the governing elders uh, or sent out therefrom, at least in the main. Secondly, the preacher as the mouthpiece of Christ. Uh, Jesus, when he sends out the the 72 ahead of him in Luke chapter 10, uh, he says this in verse 16, The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. This perhaps being a little bit more of an evangelistic focus. So consider 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. Which is at work in you believers. So let me boldly, uh, yet nonetheless, in fairly uh, orthodox consideration with uh, folks of our persuasion, uh, let me boldly say that when a preacher preaches rightly, it is not so much he that you are hearing, but it is as if God speaks through him. Just consider that for a second. That when a preacher preaches Rightly, it is not so much he that you are hearing, but it is as if God speaks through him. Let me give a quote from John Calvin, and I apologize, it's probably a couple of paragraphs long. He says, The apostles first, and after them pastors and teachers, bore testimony that Christ was made king by God the Father. But since they acted as ambassadors in Christ's stead, He rightly and properly claims to himself alone whatever was done by them. Accordingly, Paul, in Ephesians 2.17, ascribes to Christ what the ministers of the gospel did in his name. He came, says he, and preached peace to them that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. Hereby – and this is kind of cool – that's my commentary, not John Calvin – hereby also the authority of the gospel is better established because although it is published by others, it does not cease to be the gospel of Christ. As often therefore as we hear the gospel preached by men, we ought to consider that it is not so much they who speak as Christ who speaks by them. And this is a singular advantage, that Christ lovingly allures to himself by his own voice that we may not by any means doubt of the majesty of his kingdom. Relatedly, uh, Justin Peters, whom some of you may know, uh, I think it was at one of the, uh, the messages of the Strange Fire Conference, uh, he said that if you want to hear God speak, read his word. He said, if you want to hear God speak out loud, read it out loud. <laughs> True, because it is God's word. It is, it is his inerrant and infallible word. Jesus being the living embodiment of it. And so just as one may read God's word, the Bible, and hear him speak, so may one attend church and hear God speak through the preacher. Martin Luther said, and I love this, that people generally think if I had an opportunity to hear God speak in person, I would run my feet bloody. I would be so keen to hear God speak in person that I would run as fast and as long as I could in order to hear that, such that even my feet would be bloody by the time I got there. But now, says Luther, but you now have the word of God in church, and this is God's word as surely as if God himself were speaking to you. The psalmist says uh, in chapter 119 that I've been reading through, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And elsewhere in the same chapter he says at midnight as i read in the call to worship at midnight i rise to praise you because of your righteous rules if we can say nothing else of the psalmist in that chapter we can say that he clearly loves god's word he loves god's rules he loves god's precepts and if we are to believe that christ speaks when the preacher preaches then surely uh, we ought to have similar attitudes to the preaching of God's Word. And I say that uh, keeping in mind that I also am a listener to the preaching of God's Word. And so let me ask you, uh, as I like to do in uh, introspective questioning, as you got ready for church this morning, did you get ready with the zeal of one who would run his or her feet bloody to hear Christ speak through the preaching? Did you consider that your intimacy with Christ would be quite that intimate? What is the posture of your mind, your heart and spirit as the preacher dons the pulpit to deliver the word? Do you crave his teaching? Do you seek after his reproof? Are you humble at his correction? Is the training in righteousness he delivers a peaceful and nourishing balm to your soul, a stimulation to your intellect? Do you, as the Bereans, examine the scriptures daily to see if the things uh, that he preaches are so, uh, hoping to verify and catch another glimpse of Christ to hear the sweetness of his voice once again? If the living word, Jesus Christ, speaks through his preachers, then this has profound implications for how we ought to approach preaching. If we claim to be lovers of Christ and his word, we ought to be lovers of good preaching. So what's next on your listening list, on your phone, on your uh, iPhone, whatever they're called? Uh, What's next on your listening list? Is it an audio book? Is it a sermon, is it a podcast, is it a TED talk, is it a whatever else? If Jesus speaks through his preachers, there is great authority in what is delivered. We ought to pay attention, uh, submitting as we ought. If Jesus speaks through his preachers, there is great responsibility on the preacher himself. Whether he likes it or not, The preacher in doing what he does is tacitly claiming to be a mouthpiece of God, a prophet in other words. And Deuteronomy 18 uh, has some pretty profound things to say about false prophets. In the 20th verse it says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die echoed in somewhat similar sentiment in James 3.1, which I read before. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. And so the, the third point or the conclusion. The points so far have been this. Uh, the content or preaching ought to be the scripture and this ought to be delivered uh, by biblically qualified men Secondly, the preacher is the mouthpiece of Christ. And hence, thirdly, and in conclusion, a call to action for the hearer of preaching. We ought to, as hearers of preaching, again, specifying that I too am a hearer of preaching, we ought to crave preaching. Understanding that preaching is as the voice of Christ, if we claim to be lovers of Him, then we ought to be lovers and cravers of preaching. We ought to lap it up. And I, I loved how uh, Andrew said, the second Andrew, uh, in our in our church camp last week, uh, that. We ought to not so much, uh, in fact, even not at all claim the personality of the preacher. We ought not to be particularly disposed to one gentleman or another. It ought to be rather the content, the, uh, the truth that they expose as, expose as they exposit the word that is what we crave. Uh, and I remember saying when preaching at, uh, at the Kuma Church one time, uh, that it ought not to really matter if it is uh, Scott that delivers the word or if it is Joel who delivers the word. They are uh, It doesn't matter who does it. Rather, it is the truth that they preach uh, and subsequently here, the truth that is preached, which we ought to so crave and love after. Uh, it is Jesus that we ought to love, not Tom, not Tobias, not whoever else. We ought to listen to and obey preaching as a second call to action. We hold scripture to be authoritative. We hold that preaching is as Christ was speaking to us. Therefore, listen to and obey what is said. Obviously, in as much as it is in line with the scripture. And thirdly, pray for the preachers consider again that that high bar which I spoke of not that long ago in Deuteronomy 18 uh, and in James 3. And noting that preachers, and hence their preaching, is to be used as a means to bring about building up the body of Christ and the production of completeness and full equipment for every good work within the man of God. And noting these things, pray for the preachers that we would be used as humble tools of God this high calling and hence that christ's church would be presented to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she the church might be holy and without blemish ephesians 5 27. let me pray and then we'll uh, look to take the lord's supper together thank you lord for uh, your, the means of grace that you have given to the church in preaching. I pray that each one of us, and us as a, uh, as a culture, as a body, that we would approach the preaching of your word exactly as we ought to, Lord. May we not come uh, craving any particular personality, Lord, but rather, well, if we crave any personality, Lord, that it would be you, Lord, that it would be your truth spoken, Uh, through your servants i pray your blessing and and your uh, your humbling and your mercy upon we who preach in this church and that we would always deliver uh, solid gold to your people lord may we not be above uh, critique so as that lord uh, our preaching might be ever more used uh, to glorify your name and to mature your body and may it be used uh, for that exactly lord that your people would be built up, uh, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done within the church. Bless us now as we uh, consider the Lord's Supper, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.